Welcome back to Bumpers for Goalposts, the weekly podcast for four friends chew the fat on all things sport. Welcome back, guys. How are we all? Yeah, not bad. How are you? I went, I went, yeah, not bad. I went, went short and sweet with that one this week. I was going to say, yeah, uh, didn't drag that one out too much. Don't need to say it all every week. You know, the view, we've got so many, the viewers, the viewers keep coming back, mate, so they know the crack. They've got the gist. Yeah, I hope, I hope so. A lot went on this weekend, sport-wise, didn't it? Yeah, I think I think you've got to start with the uh, the dodgy Premier League refereeing. I think uh, it's yeah, Hudson Odoi's was a penalty. He's moved yeah. the ball to his hand, and I'm, I'm I'm a firm believer of this. He's moved the ball towards his hand. It's modern day football, it's a penalty. Yeah, he's one of those that people have seen him given, but like this season especially, you've seen shit like that given week in week out. So it's yeah. like consistency in it, and like when whenever I know whenever we play football, the thing you always ask for in a referee is consistency. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you always you always get dodgy decisions here and there, like oh it's a bit soft. But your main thing as a player and a referee you want is consistency, and I think that's what that isn't. That's not been consistent at all in how we've gone this year. All the refereeing in every every department has not been consistent. Like yeah. not, I completely like, agree. That's what it's been think, for a long time. You see with sorry, you see with VAR and, and everything. You, you you do ask for consistency across the board. Um, but one thing I will say about not I'm not speaking specifically on the Hudson Odoi case, but it, it it begs the question whether you need to start looking at at rules or the way the game's officiated when you go in today's game. That's a penalty, but should that really be handball? I'm not saying I'm not saying one or the other for that situation, yeah, yeah. but you end up going. Well, with the current rules, that's well, that's that's a penalty, even though he couldn't have done nothing about it in some respects. I'm not saying this is a scenario right now, but um, yeah, you just look for that consistency across the board. <laughs> it's a tough one because you, you need you need common sense in the game, <clears throat> but with common sense, and you don't, and you don't, you don't get with VAR because the problem with VAR is yeah. you kind of overanalyze every single. You know every single thing, and it's it's either very much, it's like black or white. There's no common sense. It's like then that's been the problem. And what I was going to say, I yeah. think a couple of, a couple of weeks ago that would have been given, but I think because yeah. VAR has now been pounded so much, then I'm scared to give things like that. Um, it's, it's weird though because you need that common sense, but you also need that you, you need objectivity, but you need subjectivity as well. You need that common sense, but you need it to be objectively like you want it to be objectively a penalty or not, and there's no room for error in that. So it's going to no. continue to create debates. Throughout. I agree with that, and I mean, I was a big advocate for VAR coming to football, albeit now I'm not because it's a sport. It works game. well. It works well. The Premier League made it not work well. It worked well in the FA in the World Cup. It made it worked well in the Bundesliga. It's the Premier League put their own rules on it, and it's not worked. I completely agree, but I, I generally think that what VAR has also done is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, dug up all the all the all the problems in football surrounding officiating. Full stop. And regardless yeah. of your opinions, well, it, every, everyone knows my opinion, well, in this panel, on maybe the respect element for a referee, the way that whether you, you love the old football, the referees, a wanker, and all that kind of scenario, the kind of 
surrounding the referee, the showing off, the cheating that goes on in the game. And I'm not talking the little the little inches that win a game. I'm talking the rolling round and buying fouls like a child. Not just rolling around and appealing for a foul, but appealing for everything when you know you've committed a foul. It happens on the sort yeah. of league pitch to the professional level. And it, and the referees can't do no right. Albeit, they're making plenty of mistakes. And I wouldn't say the Premier League refs are refereeing at the highest standard right now. But the consistency across the board is hard to be consistent when you've got so much pressure and you, you can't be right in any scenario almost. But yeah. And I also think football should learn from other sports. I mean, I always talk about rugby with VAR like off, off the pod. When, I, when, when you talk about the way the TMO was brought into rugby and it's had teething problems, it's not perfect. Some of the dress on it too much. But, and it is a different sport. But for a sport that's got so much happening where you can't see the ball or see everything in play compared to football where all the cameras 1v1, you know exactly what's happening. Nothing happens, or very rarely a lot happens off the ball. Maybe at, maybe at a corner or a free kick, but your focus is generally there. The inability to, for football, especially in English football, to learn from other sports, almost the arrogance to take the successes of VAR or TMO-style systems and look how other sports have implemented it, it's just complete ignorance, and, and they've just done a poor job of it. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't want to go on forever, because I, I, you know what I'm like, but, um, yeah. Well, I think a big issue with, the, with what happened, obviously, at the weekend, goes back a couple of weeks, you know, with Mark Dean, uh, and he said he was receiving, like, death threats and stuff, and then, obviously, all the media and the supporters. I think it's just so toxic, and, obviously... He come out and said, "I don't know the ref was this Man United game." He said, "Like it would have been too Makes controversial sense. to give," and like mm-hmm. you cannot be a referee and saying that sort of stuff. But he's saying it for well, a reason. He's saying think, it because one, the FA does not support him, and two, people are against referees from the get go. They want to exactly. Yeah. But for a, a complete change, but for a complete change in football culture and the people who watch football, they they are just because, like you say, the referee can do no right. Like no matter what the referee does, it will be wrong in some people's eyes. So to put it on VAR, put everything down to the minute detail and everything on the big screen, it just brings out so many problems with officiating, with referees, with kind of the mental state of referees as a result of fans and because as a result of football culture. And also about the ignorance and the refusal to kind of adapt. So I just kind of think... Well, I think that takes long to like you talk about football culture is, is the second set of the weekend in football. When you look at uh, Lee Mason at the West Brom Brighton game, um, he actually said he weren't going. He was injured for the Sheffield United uh, Liverpool game. He couldn't be a fourth official, uh, so he didn't officiate in that because of obviously all the grief he was getting from the Brighton West Brom game. Granted, it was a bad. It was a really really bad decision that actually ruined the game. And um, Brighton probably should have run on to win it, and they would have had the momentum. Uh, and he probably does deserve a sit down with the FA and thinking, right, what's gone wrong here? But all the hate he got for it, it's just, it's just not fair. It's I just so wonder whether the VAR does help referees anyway. Like, I just well, don't know if it... Does it think, help them? That goal. It should help them, but is it? I think a well, big the, thing the, you've the, got, though, with, especially implementing VAR, comes down to football's got some brilliant culture that you don't want to leave, the tradition, the tribalism. But out of many sports, I think there's not many sports as dark and as low when it comes to the negatives as as football. And unfortunately, you you start looking at the look at Mike Dean. For all you want to say good and bad about Mike Dean, I know he's not the most popular guy in the world. But it's disgusting that at the end of the day, death threats and stuff are a thing. It happens in sport. Yeah, I'm aware of that. But you see it so rife in sports like football, and you see racism, you see chat, and you see some some abuse. 
and part of it's the game but some of it is so low and and, and the respect yeah. element of the officials like you're talking on a Sunday league pitch there's no communication it, the referee's against you in other sports quite often the referee you need to work you should work with the referee to make sure the game runs smoothly communication so poor between football and referees it's it, it's gone too far it's almost like there is a culture it's us and the ref and that's where what needs to be eradicated the respect element my cup referees hear footballers swearing to get at them and then referees put your foot down book them book them for descent straight away and yeah it might it might chuck out more cards than you can name for the first month of you doing it but eventually you'll start stamping this respect element into the game but football needs to want to change at the end of the day it's a culture that's right down to grassroots sport and the supporting culture but that's me talking from perspective from maybe preferring other sports and, and I'll talk about one referee quickly before I go on anymore the one referee and it wasn't even down to he used to he was a great referee for making right decisions but even more so than that he made mistakes but Nigel Owens in rugby was the greatest communicator you'll see from any referee he'd have a joke he'd say hold his hands up when he made a mistake every player on that field knew exactly where they stood with him and he was constantly talking and communicating whether you agree with decisions he wasn't always right but at least you knew where you stood with a referee. And I think that's the most important thing. And right now, and it's not just the referee's fault, the referee should do something towards letting the players know where they stand. But unfortunately, the game's gone so far where there's no respect. No one would listen to the referee, even if he tried to stamp any authority. Yeah. The game's been lost. And, it, and it's, it's a sad sight to see. And with VAR, it's just amplified that because it's another way to make a mistake. It's true. And as it comes back down to the, the culture thing that when you said about Michael. Miking up the referees is a great idea, but I mean, it sounds trivial, but they'd, he'd be booed over. You wouldn't be able to hear him. Like, I know it sounds trivial, like, you know, but you genuinely would. That's what I mean about it. It's like the culture of it. It's just, it just, I just don't, I just don't think it'd work. I don't know. What uh, no, I, I definitely don't agree with that. He'd be booed over. There's no way, in fact, you would not be able to hear a man on the microphone. Um, yeah, what, what, you'd, I think, you'd hear I think, it all. I don't know. I well, think you, you know, if I was in to Six be... Nations games when Swinglow's been sung as loud as possible, Flower Scotland, you name it, everything's been swung. And you, I know I mean, maybe a rugby ground's not as loud as a football ground in some respects, but the Premier League's definitely gone quiet over the last few years. Compare that to an international rugby fixture, and if you can hear it there, 80,000 Welsh fans in the Millennium Stadium, I'm sure you can hear it down the Amex. Like, I, I'm all for it. Try it, why not? But... You know, we, we could go around in circles with us. Yeah, I feel like we could discuss this all day long, and I think we should probably move on. Otherwise, it will be. I mean, hour a, a quick like mention for some more officiating, because uh, everyone clearly loves it. You, you love a referee, don't you? I, I, I'm always, the thing is, I've always been somebody that's. I mean, I, had the, I think me and you've had a debate over the past as how I am referees, but I've always been quite. Yeah. I'd like to give the referee a benefit of the doubt or try and work with him. I'm not somebody who's going to keep arguing the toss. I quite like to talk with referees and have a bit of banter and kind of like work with them. I'm not, you know, if it's a foul, it's a foul. I'll hold my hand up if I, if I commit a foul. As a centre-back, I, I try and black well, it, have a laugh well and try, try not to get a yellow. But, you know, I'll hold my hand up. I know full well and do my best to stay on a good side. But I respect the referee. You're there to make a decision and, and hopefully... It's down to our jobs as players, in a way, not to let the referee get involved or dictate the game. What we should do, from any level, is you should finish the game yourself and make win the game yourself, and it shouldn't be left in the hands of the referee. Um, but as for the weekend, I mean, it, there was the Six Nations, Pascal Gazier, 
he's not. A, he's, I'm not he's not a favourite of mine. He never has been, as, as many French referees aren't. But he's held his hands up this today and said he was two of the tries that Wales scored should not have been tries, which is all well and good now after the game and, and it's a defeat. And of course, for once in the world, the TMO maybe made the wrong decision. What I will say, one of the tries in which the, went to the TMO was um, was a, a dubious knock-on. My dad still thinks it's a try. I don't think it's a try. It, that I don't, I wouldn't I don't accept. think it's either. As a 50-50. Some pros think it's a try. Some think it's a knock-on. I can see that's the, that was the second try. Contentious. I'll accept that. These things happen. The first, the first one, try, when you talk about communication, which is normally very strong in rugby, but there comes an accumulation of fouls. The referee gives someone foul a chance to go back and speak to his players and inform them. Because basically, sort your discipline out of where someone's going into the bin now. You're going to go down to 14 men. He gives him a chance to go speak to his player, or so we think. Obviously, not <laughs> not long enough to go speak and communicate to the players. And poor old England, Anthony Watson's just walking over to back over to the wing when Dan Bigger takes it kick, a cross kick, and Wales are in, and it, all the English players are stunned. And of course, you can take a penalty kick quick in rugby, but not after the referee's talking to the players and just gone. Communicate now is your chance to go communicate the players. We're stopping the play. You go tell them what I want. And that's something that football should do. A bit more communication. I, I don't know why captains aren't used a lot more in football to convey a message to the, to the players and sort your discipline out. We want this out. Calm down. Calm the game down. But, um, you know, that's the world of, uh, world of sport. I, I think what I would pick up with, with the referee in the, in the rugby game is obviously when, when, when Farrell went over and spoke to him after, Farrell was trying to plead his case of some sort. And he was just really rude and abrupt to find and, and that's what and I was going to That's so surprising, rugby. Because it is, you talk about this communication, it really is so good. But he was so rude to Farrell when he just made a blatant mistake. It was his oh. fault. Obviously, he'd come out saying, hold his hands up. How but I'd count it was that. So weird. It was so weird to see in rugby where, like, we always talk about, oh, you always get great communication. But for once, it was shockingly poor. And I was there. Can I jump in well, really confusing. And just say that I was gonna, I was gonna raise that as well as, as like a counter to the. You should be so respectful to the referee, and you know, only spoke when you're spoken to, sort of thing. That rugby has this approach. A foul was stood there like a boy in the headmaster's office, you know, getting told off. He couldn't even, he couldn't get a word in edgeways from this referee who said, "Let me speak first. He then spoke and then told Fowler to go away and said that's the end of it. He didn't get to plead his case once. So what I will say in that scenario is, one, that's very rare in rugby, that a player will yeah, go and so approach a referee and try and have a debate. Second of all, the referee's decision's final. So I understand where Pascal Gauzier is coming from. But Pascal Gauzier is also one of the ref worst referees at communicating. And I don't think he's a good ref and never really have. That he is he, that is a bad example, but nine times out of ten in the sport, rugby, it's not a perfect sport, but you communication is far better than that, and the respect man is far there. There's plenty of examples I could bring up. That was just it's it sounds funny enough, you've just slagged off football and now you're coming back with your rugby example that's completely flawed. But that is the one scenario that we're highlighting and why it's been such a why why it's been such a debating point from the weekend for rugby. Because it's not just a mistake, it was the whole package of the communication yeah. broke down, which for a sport that's normally so impeccably communicated, i.e. Like the, the England players did not rush back on to get back into position because you know, when you're communicated to have time to speak to your players, one of the good things, you're encouraged to communicate. You've then been let down by the ref, which is rare and it's, 
it's an outlier. And poor old Pascal Grosier is not a good ref. I've never been a fan. It, but he's a top ref as far as he's on the top of the referee ladder. But somehow, and, and a lot of the Northern Hemisphere, well, outside of France, a lot of English, Scottish, Irish, Welsh fans don't look forward to seeing a French referee, particularly Pascal Grosier, referee a game. I'm just saying that. Uh, I don't want to start slagging off the man because he's, he's had a tough weekend. But, you know, uh, it's one of those. Uh, last thing before we get into further, you want to mention Gordon Elliott, I think, uh, Mr. Turner? Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, just uh, I'm sure you'd, you'll have sort of, you'll, um, agree with me if I share my sentiment. But just what a, what a sad day for Horace Racing, I thought. And especially just with Cheltenham on the corner. And also we're going into a period where horse racing gets put under the microscope anyway and gets kind of, you know, moaned about an awful lot. And people think, you know, kind of miss, kind of, it's like poor conceptions of horse racing that just aren't true. What a thing for, to come out. Um, yeah. Uh, what a disgrace as well to the sport. I don't know, did you, did you see it, Mitch and Sam? I don't know if you... Uh, yeah, I've seen, I've, seen, I've seen some stuff on Twitter this morning, but I've not read too much into it. Sure. I mean, it's really poor, poor judgment um, from a man at the top of top of the game and what an excellent trainer he is and you can talk about all that he's done good in the sport but that's unforgivable and the the, the poor excuse that come with it is mm. makes you lose a lot of respect for Gordon Elliott um, and like you said under the microscope with Chatham around the corner you've got the Grand National around the corner which is always under the microscope when you're talking about animal welfare um, it's not a good look. And, you know, I saw Mick, Mick Fitzgerald on At The Races this morning and he spoke so well about how people mm-hmm. really are in the sport and how beloved and looked after horses are and stuff like that. And you could see the pure emotion coming out of the man that he's seen such an image. And, you know, it's a terrible advert for the sport, which is constantly under the microscope. But there's brilliant people in the sport. Unfortunately, like anything, you find a minority that take the piss. And do I think Gordon Elliott's a bad man? Not at all. Do I think it was... This stuff like the fatalities on the gallops happens, especially when you've got a yard as big as his. It's common. They're, they're, flight, they're flight animals. They will, sh- they will be spooked. They will spook and run through things. They will spook and have heart attacks. It's part of their breed, regardless of whether they're, they're workhorses or not. Um, so I can, I can see how you could lose the kind of hu- the human aspect, for lack of a better word, of the, de- the death of the horse. I can see how that becomes almost not numb and it's still a serious deal and nobody wants to see it. No trainer, no matter how many times it happens, but when it's that common, it's not common, but when it's a lot more common than you probably see from the outside, you could see how unfortunately it's just another unfortunate event, but to have a photo taken, whether intentionally or not. Tasteless at the end of the day, I think is the word. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And I don't think it writes him off as a bloke. I don't think, I don't agree with that. He should be banned for life. I think, it's one mistake, unfortunately, and people make mistakes. But I definitely think a hefty ban and a hefty fine and, and, and a ban is appropriate. And I mean, yeah, it. I mean, the British, uh, the British horse racing yeah. um, have just put out that they, that he can't train anybody and uh, bring any horses over to England now. But Which has consequences for Cheltenham, doesn't it? Well, what I think can happen is he could transfer over to either his understudy. The horses can yeah, go now under his name, or they can. The horses can be sent to other yards and go under their name. So the any Gordon Elliott horses trained horses can go under another name. Um, but yeah, no, mm. uh, 
exactly what you don't want. I wonder how the owners reacted because uh, he's got a big old, um, big old farm in in uh, Colentra. But yeah, um, yeah. To move on to football shirts, sports shirts. Go on, that's it's, it's probably football. It normally is. Usually is, yeah. It's just either doesn't matter. Oh, bar gel, I think, by the looks of it, yeah. Yeah, I got a few bones for football this weekend, clearly. But go on, I'll kick it off since I can't stop talking. I've gone for, and for reasons that will come out later, a uh, Los Angeles Clippers, my basketball team. I can't even bother. I'm going to get it on the back. It's between two guys. It's Blake Griffin. Um, Yeah. We'll get on to Blake Griffin later on. He's a, I love the man. But um, yeah, Clippers, my my, uh, my NBA team, big NBA fan. So yeah, thought it was a time to bring a bit of basketball into the show. I would love to talk more basketball, but I've got no one to talk it with. So uh, sorry. <laughs> In part, right, I, I, right, right. I'll give Mitch a little bit. I'll stick hey, it I, I, Adam's watched the last dance. Maybe we could discuss that one day. Yeah, talk Chicago Bulls in the 90s. <laughs> um, so I go. Yeah, nothing again. No, I've actually ordered a load of football shirts this week, which has taken, I mean, going on Depop drama. I've had up some nightmares anyway, but uh, they, sh- they should be here soon, so we should have some better ones in the next couple of weeks. But I've had this one, it's last season's third shirt. Um, put it on because I know it's a little bit contentious. I know Sam's already said he hates it. Uh, oh, yeah. I-, I remember saying I hated it. When you get a shirt that isn't red or blue, you've got to go for it. I don't mind it. Yeah, I, don't, so- I don't mind a black strip, to be fair. But it's I do think they're definitely good splash. Yeah, yeah, but it's... I don't know. I don't mind it. It's not for me. It's all right. Well, not your got... favourite, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not great. I think, I think it was better than the one he had on last week. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I, love, I, I love how far was, mate, or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> one of the <laughs> great moments of sport. It's just I cannot get with Macron as a as a kit maker. It's, it's not yeah. tennis, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, it's Macron. One of our football tour kits to Barcelona when I was in school was Macron. It was very crap. Um, yeah, sorry, <laughs> Macron. If you, yeah, Macron, if you want to, if you want to sponsor the show or anything, you know, other brands are available. We're, we're slagging them off. Our, uh, our campus league team might need a couple of uh, kits. Yeah, away. that's a, that's like any link or partnership with Macron out the window. Sorry about that, but. Um, Speaking yeah. of um, speaking of kit suppliers, one's just randomly popped into my head. Jim when Villa had Luke of England. What was that all about? Yeah, that was last season, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, they're still oh, they're still oh, doors by them. Still the clothing brand. Such a West Midlands brand, you know. Yeah, imagine someone coming out with, with like Hugo Boss kits or. They did a yeah. nice kit, right? Like, that was a nice kit they did. <laughs> No Villa gets a nice or a man <laughs> in the, in I do like court. some claret and blue though. Like, yeah, yeah on West Ham and Burnley, but not on Villa. I got a soft spot of Villa, it's from the Martin O'Neill days. Who actually talking of Martin O'Neill, I just seen um on Twitter, you know, the old when he was talking about the two European Cups compared to yeah, like, Cannavar and Vieira. So I went on the old, I thought, oh, it's definitely with Forrest. So I went, and obviously he's a Forrest legend, it was with Forrest. But I went and looked, he's 69. I did not realise. It's his birthday today. Is it? I knew he's been around for years, but I never would have said he was 69. I was like, Jesus. Right, Mitchell, what have you got? I've gone for the first ever football top I ever bought my own money. It is the 2016 away strip, England. The classic. Oh, there it is. Uh, I'm getting, I'm getting a bit for it nowadays, though. This is where they started getting really tight in like 2015, 2016. 
I'll get a bit fat for it, but I thought I'd stick it on. Uh, obviously, with England, uh, Euro 2021 around the corner as well, I thought, when better, when better. Do you remember when England played a warm-up friendly against Germany and won 3-2 with that Vardy? They were 2-0 yeah, down the, as well, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. Did they Eric, wear that Eric kit Dyer, that day? was it the blue one? Eric Dyer, that was uh, I think, Jamie... I think it was. I think it was this kit. No, this I, one, I think. it was a blue one, it? I was going down that route with the red, and I thought, no, it was blue that day. I'm certain it was blue. Same kit. I'll tell you what kit, I'll tell you kit, what kit like I do actually one. hate in the minute. I, abs- I hate button-up kits, like button-up tops and buttons. No, England's I like way a button. Strip, I quite like a England's button. England's away strip is awful. I hate I it. I quite like a button. I will never, ever, ever buy a button jersey. After a, after a brief Google, uh, it was in fact red. They won that. Oh, game. okay, bang on. It was, this, was, it this it was that. It was that shirt. Yeah. So what a, what a shout is all I can say with that one. I'll take that. Yeah, fair play to you. Go ahead, Sam. What what have you got on? What Adam said uh, for this so awful England away kit? As, yeah, as Mitch uh, had on last week, he had his old mystery football shirt on, and I I did one in October time as well. Um, and I got a Jamaican Football Federation shirt. Oh, dear, yeah, fuller, mate. What it's, a pretty it's, fucking basic. That's a great kit, flag in the umbro. There's a nice little like pattern in the in the shirt, and that's pretty, pretty standard national team shirt. I might get Rafael Morris on the back. I'm quite tempted. Oh, oh no, get Ricardo Fuller or get Barry Hales for those Chelsea fans that remember Barry Hales. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think if there's any any <laughs> decent Jamaican footballers knocked out. No, obviously like Raheem Sterling, but Michael I mean, like, Hector. The... Is, is he still playing? Wes so, Morgan's still cutting about, isn't he? Oh, Wes Yeah, but is he, is he playing international level? That's what I mean. Or is he still oh, no, like, he's turning that uh, Jamaica week in, week out? I think it's a, just can't be bothered to fly over. I, yeah, he's I don't want to track play on, and play on like a chewed up bloody Sunday league pitch. Uh, I, was, <laughs> I think in the summer, in the summer, I bet on like the Jamaican Premier League. And you could watch it on Sky Bet, and I was watching it, and it was, it was sand. Other bookmakers are But I was, I was like, this is honestly like, how can you. So worse than some of the pictures you get in England, obviously because the heat and stuff, it all dries up. I was like, you can't play football on that. And obviously, they didn't play football on that. Kick it as far as you can and chase after it. So, no, definitely. Uh, you managed to find the kit out of them, or you're going to let us down. I'm going to let you down, and it, that's a testament to how messy my room is. I to go through the pile. Yeah, I, I, see, I see you've not made your bed, mate. You know, <laughs> you're not made. Uh, no, that I'll, I'll, be wear, I'll wear that for the next podcast. Adam tends to make his bed just before he jumps in it. Um, anyway, for today, <laughs> so guys, what's in store for today? We've got our top three sporting icons or favourites. We kind of opened it up because Mitch was arguing he didn't have any sporting icons. One, so, I one. I one. And I suppose, one. for me, I was looking at icons and going, I suppose maybe one of my icons, I didn't play the sport or do something. So I'm like, is he really an icon for me? Well, he is, but then I thought favourite people people in sports you watched, icons, you, know, you name it. But it's a top three, and we'll go straight into it. We go, I'll start with you, Sam. The forum to you, mate. What have you got so, for us? The one I've put third of my top three, and this might actually surprise you, uh, uh, knowing my passion, love, not that, my lack of love for rugby. Um, oh, and I've gone with say, the man yeah. who, I, I, I love him, because right? me, me and my old man used to watch Ireland, yeah. Uh, Back in the day when I was growing up, but uh, I was just—he was the only man to kind of ever like genuinely make me interested in rugby. And he um, never made he never made the five-a-side team that we put together. Nah, nah, he didn't. He didn't. And he—I he, mean, you're thinking of the wrong person as well. You're not thinking. Of the no, same you've person. not got the same guy that I've got in my second spot. He's one of my favourite uh, players ever. 
is the born in California, which I was oh, unaware of. Uh, the second most capped Irish player of all time, uh, for its highest point score. I've gone with Ronan O'Gara. Is that, uh, just, is that you, man? I just want to say he's my favorite rugby player ever. Um, who I've got plenty to say about, which I was like, yeah. I thought you were going to Brian Driscoll. Okay, got you. No, so he, he did, like, I don't know enough about rugby to really sit here and talk to, talk about him, but when he used to watch him, he used to, I just genuinely think he was amazing um, at what he did. And genuinely, the only man to make me think maybe I could play rugby. I hated rugby. I don't like rugby, but I think he's going to be up there because he was just class when you watched him. He was just unbelievable. Well, I think. Um, I'll um, jump in on that then and reveal my pick of Ronan O'Gara. Although he's a bit higher on the list, I'll cover him now. And I'll probably add a, a little bit more detail to it with my notes. And I'm talking about a man, obviously, um, family hails from Cork. Uh, and obviously, Munster, Cork's in Munster. So, Ronan O'Gara, who's a Cork man himself, uh, is an absolute icon growing up. When you're talking about great sporting teams, especially great rugby teams, that Munster side of the mid-2000s is... It's one of the most feared, revered, respected sides. And they are as a club generally. Like, you know, there's no easy games against Munster. They always turn up in the European Cup, which is equivalent to Champions League for those who don't follow rugby. And, and you know, he's, he's a face of the franchise, basically, of, of, the, of the team. He's one of those men that just... Had, when you talk about great players and icons, they tend to have great and iconic moments. And the legend that was, you know, he, he didn't just have one or two. He had, he had a ple- like plenty... Of, of brilliant moments uh, and particularly from from drop drop goals you know it wasn't all plain sailing in his international career like he started off a bit slow trying to take the, um, the tenship from David Humphreys had a, had a big error in one of the Lions tests but so he was human but time and time again he stood there for Ireland and, and Munster and, and stood up mate like a 78th minute drop goal away in Cardiff to win the Grand Slam in 2009 it was, it was, for Ireland. It was exciting to watch every time he played. He was just—he yeah. did things that just, you know. He's just so accurate. For Munster, he had moments when he literally just, like, he's plenty of times again dropped goals against Northampton, 84th minute after 41 phases of rugby. And he's the man who helped carry Munster over for their first European Cup win and followed it up two years before. And for, um, for those of you who also don't follow rugby, the Heineken Cup hadn't been around for too long at that point, and Munster had already made two finals and lost. And it was like a massive deal for Munster to finally get over the hill and win it, and he was at the centre of it. And he ended up getting, in 2010, awarded the European Player Award for being the greatest contributor to European um, Heineken Cup, uh, European rugby during the 15 years of Heineken Cup. That's the kind of man we're talking, talking with there. He retired as the all-time most capped island player, uh, later surpassed by Brian O'Driscoll, the all-time most point scorer for Munster, Ireland, and in Heineken Cup or European Cup history. You know, he's achieved absolutely everything in the game, except maybe what no Irish player has done and achieved anything on the on the World Cup scene. But you're talking Grand Slams internationally, the top of the game uh, domestically, top of the game in the European scene club-wise. And he's just an absolute icon, mate. I remember him with pure fondness from my youth. Albeit he retired in 2013 when I was only 14. But as a son of a man, he was a big Munster fan. You watch him, he's down in folklore. And one of the most interesting guys to listen to about rugby today. So, yeah, I'll follow that up. That's um, the legend that is running O'Gara there, guys. Not bad. Um, from, I'll jump in. From a, from a different sport, um, there's a few names I contemplated here. Uh, but I, I thought I had to go with this man because as a... A Lang fan myself. I've had some 
he's a real Lancashire legend. I've had some, some of my best piss-ups in the stand named after this man. Um, oh, but as a Lancashire legend, England legend, I had to go Jimmy Anderson OBE. Um, but, I mean, what a man. England, uh, amongst fast bowlers, the leading wicket-taker at test level in cricket. Um, I think he's 50 ahead of Glenn McGrath now. Um, also, number-wise, 100 test, 600 wickets. 269 ODI wickets, 986 first class. Um, he's just aged like a fine wine, Jimmy Anderson. He's just constantly excelled as England's greatest ever bowler, and he's done so for 18 years. Um, what a man. Eight, 38 years of age as well, and still doing it with the ball. Uh, I just want an animal. One animal. And also, in fact, he does a podcast at the minute with Greg James and that. Funny. Anyone who likes into the cricket, um, cool tail enders. Yeah, 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 and that's really, really done a lot to get like new generations and new fans into the sport and change like change kind of perceptions of the sport. So, I, but yeah, I, I had to go Jimmy Anderson, a Lancashire fan. Um, Actually, I don't know if any of you have um, yeah, really... he's a handy darts yeah. player as well. Him and Cookie. Oh, he's, I've seen that video of him and Alistair Cook the other day, and uh, Cook throws a one forty, uh, a one one forty, I think, and then uh, Jimmy Anderson throws like I think. Like even better. I was like, bloody hell, them two both throwing decent, like, uh, decent round of darts there. Oh, I remember both of them are pretty good nicknames as well. I think Anderson's was the swinger on that Sky Sports thing or something. But there was one of them had a really good one. I can't remember. I really liked it. But yeah, absolutely. I, the, the greatest bowler ever or just the greatest English bowler ever? Where, where's the stand? He's up there, isn't he? Yeah, I think, I think, I could be wrong, but I think he's the fourth, the fourth highest test wicket taker ever, I think. And he's, yeah. the, and he's definitely yeah, definitely the number one uh, fast bowler. But um, yeah, what a man! It's, it's also an interesting for a, a batsman as yourself to compliment a a bowler. I like know like it Jimmy. is. It is. And in fact, my favourite duo in cricket it was is probably Broad Anderson, which is that does take a lot to say. I want to say one, one, ask you one thing: if have you got a batsman in your next two picks? No, no, I don't. If know. you were going to pick a batsman, who would your favourite batsman be of all time? And if you haven't got it right now, just come back to us. I'm just putting you on the spot. I just out of interest as a friend, I just thought seems your batsman. Who did you yeah, say? I think my, I'll tell you, my, my 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 one's a batsman. Marcus Trescoffit. Oh, is yours a batsman? I don't want to jump in then. I'll yeah. go for one that Mitch won't have because there's one that I was going to say which would be very as the Patriot in me. I'd say, but I think Mitch might have him. Captain no, probably Kirk. not. Probably not a patriot. Probably the least thing you think. Oh, about you love Joe Root. One of it's going to be Joe Root, isn't it? I do. Um. So yeah, obviously, as Joe mentioned my massive issue that I don't really have any icons. Or what. I used to stick sport on, but it was always ever football. Um. And there's only one man for me in football. He's my number one. Uh. So I was thinking about really who did I try and imitate when I was when I was younger. Uh. Absolute weapon of the blow, bit of a bit of a weirdo, but a great cricketer, uh, nonetheless. Uh, Kevin Peterson. Yeah, I and you know the you know the reverse sweep, absolute classic. I used to, I remember watching him in like 2005, uh, and going to like primary school in that in that week and being like, let me try this, and never achieving it because I couldn't hit a ball anyway. But it was the first <laughs> shot I ever really tried when I was playing cricket. Obviously, I don't play cricket. Never have. Don't mind throwing the ball about a little bit and like, but uh, that just reverse sweep. Kevin Peterson. Everything about him and that team in general, to be fair, is just. Uh, but the one person, yeah, I've tried that, imitate him. But yeah, one really. I wouldn't say icon, but I tried to imitate him and 
everything he did when he was at the crease you think he bloody hell he's good like really great good. player isn't it? an even bigger character I think it's fair to say exactly yeah I actually saw him on I actually watched the Grand Tour the other day and I saw he did um, he was doing an interview on there Cohen Peterson he's, 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 he's quite he seems a sound bloke to be fair obviously I think mean, yeah, yeah he no, just had that big issue a couple of years back didn't he but I know. mean, yeah. also among my moments, try my best at cricket. Very few moments. I was always trying to imitate a certain Chris Gale, uh, but we'll leave it there. You know, the old Chris Gale fanboy. <laughs> I, I know you saw a massive Malinga bowler. Um, not sure if Malinga. Joe, mate, I've seen you bowl and you are awful at cricket. <laughs> Whoa. I, hey, Adam, I, I had a few nice overs in the park in the summer. I thought. You did actually. That was a good little game on the concrete. I'll yeah. tell you who I was going to say, Joe. I wasn't going to say. Uh, KP. I was going to say Adam Gilchrist. Really? Surprised. Yeah. I mean, I Adam Gilchrist. I mean, when you say, you say Alistair Cook. Yeah, Cook was the one I was going to say yeah. first. Yeah, when, yeah. when I think Cook, I, think Cook I, just, I just think faced 4,000 balls, scored 84 runs. Yeah. It was an absolute wet. He just so good at like, defending the wicket. It's ridiculous. It was yeah, Alistair Cook so good. But I just love Adam Gilchrist like aggression as an opening batsman, and he, uh, I mean, he's proper Aussie. But now I like I like Gilchrist as well. Right, that's the uh, that's the first first few in there, boys. We, me, me and Cardi went the same. We've had Gilchrist and Did, didn't we you? Had about KP. We're gonna call a little break there, guys, and then we'll be back straight into it. Welcome back, guys. Um, we're going to head straight to. Oh, anyone want to go first for their number for their second icon? Go on, then, Adam. I'm just going to nominate you, mate. <laughs> um, okay, so this one probably got me into the sport. I think he probably got like a lot of people in the sport. Really, really kind of like just the most commercial. I think greatest of all time, probably. Um, and I used to. I remember I used to like genuinely like get like it like caps with his name on it and shit even though I didn't even like the sport and you couldn't even play the sport at that age but it's Tiger Woods it's oh, quite a rogue one but I used to I grew up loving Tiger Woods I don't know why but just just watching him I just thought he was sick um uh, so yeah like just he's one of a kind in our generation got a lot of 15, 15 majors the youngest Grand Slam winner he's won three Grand Slams 82 PGA Tour wins which is tied for first and I just think, I just think, what, what you know, what an icon. So when you first made you in '97, and I was going to say you're last in 2019, but I mean, but for that horrendous crash the other day, you might yeah, still be playing. Yeah, I was about to say, Yeah, but at 43 to come back and win, you might win a Masters after the personal issues that man's had. Yeah, um, yeah that 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 comeback uh, major win was ridiculous. And unbelievable, and and also to do- like that like golf is such a ridiculously difficult sport to dominate. I would argue like it's such a very evolving sport, and you get every year you get in like young players come in who are so good and are constantly changing the game, like you do shambos and whatnot. And you think how many think... people compete as well? Exactly. At tournament. Exactly, and to be that good for that long, um, I think you know got to be one of the greatest sportsmen of all time I think definitely and you know rest yeah, up oh, yeah, fingers crossed it's, it's all it's better news than yeah. what what it seems to be because otherwise it's took a leap straight as old uh, Santiago yeah. Punez's book aren't they? Uh, yeah that has not done well for him has it <laughs> hell, uh, I know I probably shouldn't have dropped that in there but bloody yeah. uh, on, a, on a serious note um, horrendous news and you know prayers up to old um, Tiger Woods mate what an icon, hey, a true we, icon also, we also thought 
we also fought tremendous. We also fought bad news against with Fernando Alonso, but he pulled out of it. So let's hope the best yeah. Tiger Woods as well. I saw the video of him laughing and smiling earlier. I thought, bloody hell. Because he had hey. his jaw off on last he, week or whatever. He is built differently, Fernando Alonso, isn't he? He is. Yeah, he's he just... Is. Yeah. Yeah, he's just crazy. But, um, Card, Card, what you got for us? So, I had a... My next two footballers because, you know, football was, is kind of... Hey, hey. It was nice that you branched up. out on the first one, mate. We'll yeah, I, went I know, it's nice, it's going. nice. By then, mate. Yeah, we, got, we were going to go first or third in my mind. So Ronald Gara is going to be my like, last rogue pick. Uh, but obviously, we've gone the other way. So I've got two footballers. I kind of toss between because there were two footballers about the like, age of seven, eight, uh, that just you, the kind of players that you want to emulate down the park and you'd love. To, and I had a torrid time picking between these two as second and first. And I've gone with, as my second, Stephen Gerrard. Because let's face it, the man was like, much of my Liverpool family were much of my family were Liverpool fans, and so you watch him regularly, and he's a man you'd want to emulate down the park. You'd want to have that ball fall out to you on the edge outside of the box. You'd want to fucking like strike it as clean as anything. And he was just he's a, he's a man that led some terrible teams to good results. He, he had a cracking record as well. It's like when you watched him play with Fernando Torres and stuff like that, it was gorgeous football in those old T ninety boots. He finished. Based off Wikipedia, he scored 120, 29 goals, I think it was, in 500 games at a centre midfielder. Plenty, plenty, plenty more more assists, some very important goals, and that's why Steven Jard is number two on my icons. Number two on your icons, and he's third, he's third on the all-time uh, great English midfielders of that era. Oh, um, mate, I'm not going to have this argument with you, but you're an idiot. Behind Hill? Lampard. He's behind Paul Scholes and, and Frank Lampard. And, oh, um, you're oh, fucking, you're yeah, fucking silly. You you Lampard way better. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but Lampard's way better. Lampard's better. Oh, Lampard Scholes is better. You know, I'm sorry, but it is. You know anything about football? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, we can have, it's an argument for another day, but 100%. Stephen Gerrard, out of all three of them, Stephen Gerrard got the most plaudits and was the worst out of the three of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was definitely. just blue because he was a scouser. That's it. Yeah, because he was a hometown boy. He had a couple of FA Cup moments. And done well, Frank and Scolzi. That's, that's not an argument to prove from there. Fair point. Well, Lampard, Gerard never controlled a game like Scholes, and Lampard was a better goal scorer than Gerard. So Gerard was a better Gerard's footballer than Lampard. He uh, wasn't was a better attacking, mm, nah. attacking player, was he? He's a better footballer. He's a better midfielder. Central midfielder is a better central midfielder. No, I'm not wrong. No. I, I beg to differ. I, I'd argue with you this <laughs> every day for a second. I, I also think off with that comment. <laughs> right, right. So three of us, three of us here out of four of us get Lampard. So there's the bait settled between this group. Just, wait, wait, wait. No, wait la, last one. Last one. No arguing. No arguing. We'll go around the room just as a little interval. Just no debate and no reasons why. What are your one, two, three for them? And then we'll just leave it. Mitch. Uh, Lampard scores Gerard. <laughs> Adam. <laughs> uh, Lampard Gerard scores. Uh, I'm goals Lampard Gerard. Uh, uh, <laughs> Gerard Lampard scores. People just hate United. People just hate United about era. No, it's not, it's people not, are just so no. salty about the yeah, great United side. But anyway, we move on. I'm so angry. I'm so angry about this last week. Kaji, before we move on, have you got anything more you want to add? Not to the argument, but just add why Gerard's your icon. Is that it was you done? 
Nah, I'm done. I'm annoyed now. Good. Was it all the Good. trophies you won? How many Champions <laughs> Leagues have you won? Premier Leagues. I, I think we've, <laughs> we've won more Campus League titles than he's won. Yeah. He's won plenty of trophies. He's, uh, he, oh. His spirit just won. <laughs> oh, his spirit, mate. He's a boring bloke to listen to. I don't oh. care. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't make me slip. Next thing you know, he's on his ass. He wouldn't rally oh. me up, mate. I'll just say that. But nor would Paul Scholes. Or Frank I'm going to leave the stall in a second. I'm done. <laughs> well, um, right, uh, off, to, off to you, Mitch. Go on. Um, so, again, I've gone, I've gone down the imitation route. Uh, and I was, uh, I used to love wrestling when I was a kid, uh, weirdly. Um, and I actually weird? share, share, I share, I share, I share a birthday, I share a birthday with this bloke. I was quite a small lad growing up. And uh, I used to start like, really. You share the brain. same height? I, yeah. <laughs> Nothing's changed, is it? Same height. Small uh, up, big mouth still. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> yeah. Uh, same height, same birthday. Same, uh, if you cast me as Santiago Puna, same, uh, same nationality. Rey Mysterio. Um, absolute legend. I remember, like, I think, I think I remember watching him in like, he was with like him versus the great Carly, uh, Mark Henry. He was like something ridiculous. He was like three absolute beasts versus, um, Ray Mysterio, and it was unreal. It was really funny to watch. Obviously, I'm pretty sure he beat Big Show in a one v one as well. And he always did pretty well in the Royal Rumbles and stuff. He held his own. You've won a but Royal Rumble. I used, yeah, I used to try. Uh, it's me, me and a couple of mates. Uh, we used to love a bit of wrestling. We were weirdos. Um, obviously, not imitating, like actually doing it like all fake and stuff. Mitch, I don't know why we did this. You're not Mitch, a weirdo if you like wrestling. There's, there was, yeah, there was nothing weird about liking wrestling. No, no, no. I know that. But we also used to, we also used to like tend to like fake wrestling. Not actually wrestling, yeah, yeah. fake wrestling. Nothing, nothing, I used to do nothing, that in sixth form in the classroom and the teacher worked with me. And if <laughs> that, like, Atwood, I know you're not watching, but if, if Ryan Atwood is watching, it's another person. I was going to, uh, I was meant, hold on, I'm going to quickly interview. My mate Matt Makovietsky, I was meant to shout you out because I shouted out our other mate, and now I've name dropped someone else before you. I'm just going to get you in there, mate. Legend that is Matt. But Atwood, if you're there and watching, you know exactly what I'm on about, where I used to try and fling him around and choke slam him in English when the teacher went out of the room. If you think that's weird, I used to walk around before I knew what any kind of hygiene was. Because my favourite wrestler was fucking Carlito biting out of apples oh. and spitting oh. on me. <laughs> that's in. That's you mean you come back for the Royal Rumble this year? I was. <laughs> what come back in the Royal Rumble? Yeah, well, I can't. Okay. I, think, I think I think for me and Rey Mysterio, I think our, he has one of the best finishing moves as well. Uh, Six one nine, and I used to try and do this off my bed frame, swing round in the post. Uh, yeah, I used to any single metal thing that used to stick in the ground, even a bollard, I'd try and swing around on it for no reason at all. I like, do the six one nine, uh, I just shout it randomly right, in the middle of the street. One of the it things that made Ray Mysterio so special as well, I think also because he was like one, he was the first so of my knowledge anyway of lucha wrestler that broke into the mainstream oh, American yeah. I, I think, industry I think, and was a commercial yeah, success. Um, so that one thing I did, I, I used to love high flyers. He wasn't my favorite high flyer because I loved, you know, your Jeff Hardys and stuff. But I don't know anybody that didn't like Ray Mysterio, icon, massive name in the sport. Was so. he, he was he was SmackDown, weren't he? Oh, uh, he's, yeah. he's been on SmackDown and Raw. They all have. Um, so yeah, yeah, SmackDown Raw. Uh, I think he might have been in ECW for one spell before it went. Maybe I might be making that up. But yeah, whatever, champ in it all, and the Raw Rumble winner. 
icon. Absolutely. Uh, absolute and it leaves you with mine, who I said that I was going to give a mention. Certain Blake Griffin, number 32. There you go, guys. Number 32 for the, formerly of the LA Clippers, now after the Detroit Pistons, but he sat out because um, he wants to get traded. But anyway, that's the world of basketball. But Blake Griffin, um, the reason why, for me, he's second on this list, well, he would have been third because Agar was second, but... Um, was he was the reason why I become a Clippers fan. And one of the big, not the reason, but one of the driving factors why I got so into basketball around the age of probably, probably about 14, I started following it a bit. And it was during the era of Lob City in LA. And it was the best Clippers team that we've ever had, really. Maybe arguably now, but basically an irrelevant franchise forever. <laughs> Still never made a Western Conference final, which is pretty poor. And that team was the closest we got and should have. Um, but Griffin, honestly, to anybody now, like somebody who follows basketball, the novelty of dunking kind of wears. I mean, you still appreciate a mad dunk, a great poster, stuff like that. But he's one of the few guys that, if you still watch Blake Griffin's highlights, and I mean, to anybody who doesn't follow the sport, to see a guy at six foot ten be that athletic and the way he would just absolutely dunk over anybody. It was ridiculous. And I remember watching his slam dunk contest from 2011. Obviously, I didn't watch it live, but I watched it a few years later. And although it's not as impressive when you look back at it now, when he won jumping over a car, because he sort of jumped over the car. But back then, it kind of captured your imagination to see a guy jumping over a Kia car to just dunk, dunk in the ball. And alongside that, six-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA second team between 2012 and 40. I mean, he was the top 10 player in the league. He was third in MVP vote in one year. Uh, twice All-NBA third team and that was even as recent as 2019 when people think he's kind of finished. A lot of, in, unfortunately, injuries have slowed him down and really hampered his athleticism which is a massive shame but prime Blake Griffin there wasn't many as exciting to watch especially with that Clippers team which was Lob City. It was the best era to watch just before the three-point shot really come what it was as well and yeah um, I can't put into words how much I love watching that guy. Will that forever probably be my favourite player? Joe, can I ask a question? Go on. So, is, is he ever won? What is it, the NBA? What is, what's the no, he's never won a ring. Griffin's. Right. So, so, he's won, he's won, he's won less, uh, less than Stephen Gerrard. Yeah, yeah dude, you're right. But at least uh, you're, you're completely right, mate. I'm not saying he's better than, I'm not saying he's better, than better players than him, though. Um, no, no, that's no, all no, I'm no. saying. Uh, but I also wanted to give a little um, shout out because I wanted to go down a basketball route. For those who know me, I'm a big basketball fan. I want to give a shout out to the Icons. Like, it's hard not to put LeBron in, but it's LeBron. Blake's a bit more of a, to the heart because he's a Clippers boy. Uh, also, the other the other big icon for me in basketball is um, Dirk Nowitzki because he was seven feet tall, not particularly athletic, but was so skilled and, and you know quick in his prime, and you know impeccable shooter and the best shooter ever over seven feet. Ridiculous. Um, that's another guy that took you massively. But yeah, Blake, what an icon, mate. Love him to bits. Come back to LA, Blake. And even though you're, you're massively past your best, unfortunately, with injuries, I'd still take you back in a heartbeat because I love you. <laughs> so we're on to, uh, on to our final round of icons. Who wants, who wants to go first on our last one? I don't mind. Go on, it, it, can't, it, can't be, it can't be me, can it? Because I've just rubbed it on. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to listen to you. <laughs> go on, Mitch. Go on, Mitch. You've right. um, yeah. So, this is my only ever icon. I, uh, so, 
I never actually support Coventry for a long, long time. Um, what? Whoa, 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 Fickle fan. This is, this know, is Mister. This is the Mister. I've watched Coventry play in all five divisions, oh all top four divisions. Top four divisions, yeah. I've got a really old Subaru shirt. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, um, it's, it's been a bit of. Well, I actually, I actually live uh, outside did you, did the you, old Did you really start supporting them when they got to the championship? Is that yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we got ready for Premier League, when we got ready for the championship, yeah. Forget, so, forget about that league when you forget about. Um, but uh, <laughs> I always support. I always supported Cov. I always supported Cov, but um, obviously when we moved out, Coventry was a bit different. Never really went as much um, until a bit older. So I was like seven or eight. Um, so. When you got four, five, six, seven, playground football. Uh, I actually used to follow Arsenal in like the 04 season, 03, 02. It was unreal. Obviously, look at like Burkham, Perez, Lumberg with the uh, Mohican, uh, Pink Mohican, Ashley Cole, probably the best left back to ever grace the game. Uh, but obviously, only one man here. Awful managerial career, but great footballer, Thierry Omri. Probably the best player the Premier League has ever seen. Uh, he's top three, 100. He, he is everyone's top three. Yeah, I think you can ask any single person who watches Premier League football uh, or even watches football, and he will be in your top three. Whoever's playing the Premier League. I'll, I'll also come in on this. Uh, just a little, a little quick bit. He was also the first player that in the playground in reception. I remember trying to be. Didn't really know yeah, much, but knew a couple Thierry of names, and it was Thierry Henry. Yeah, 100. I think. It was just, it was just how he played. It was, it was his first touch, his, his pace. He was just so strong in the air. Is is simple. He made the game seem simple. He played. He made the game play how he wanted to play. He was always in control from up top. Perfect striker. That's you know what I mean. It was just so, it was so weird. And obviously, he's, he's won the World Cup. He's, he's won everything. Uh, I mean, you look at look at that goal at United where he kicks up his absolutely well. Is it and it's. Back heeled like when he back against Millwall, I think it was. I think it Millwall or something. And he went for like it was just everything he did was just gold, and it was brilliant. And I think he deserves every single praise he ever gets, and he still will always be my favourite footballer without doubt. Uh, and I think he probably will be a lot of people's. Uh, but obviously, his managerial career has uh, gone to pot <laughs> in the MLS. But you know, I, I always but, really wanted that. Yeah, he was linked with the Bournemouth job, weren't he? Um, yeah. I always uh, really wanted that French number 12 shirt from about 04. Always really wanted that shirt um, with the Henri, Henri on the back. But he was also just, mate, like even his return, I think, I always quite liked Arsenal as far as the rival Leeds, team. But the goal against Leeds, yeah, just seeing yeah, that, was... I think everybody was willing him to score that day. I just, yeah. Brilliant, I think I think I think what you'll what you'll see is like you know when like Martial come on the scene, oh it's the next Omri. When Mbappe come on the scene, oh it's the next Omri. Every single young French forward now will be compared to Omri, just as just as well as people will be compared to like Gascoigne in like I don't know in the English midfield or players Gerard. like that. Yeah. Not obviously not Gerald, more Lampard. He is probably, you look at it like, obviously outside of the down and stuff, you probably would say he's up there with an absolute legend of the French game. I also, um, I also owe, um, as we know, my love to long sleeve shirts. I think I owe that to uh, Thierry Henry because he, he, yeah. he was. Oh, in the black gloves as well. Oh my black God. Yes, that that man, I say, there, there had to be some of them wearing gloves on a football pitch. Yeah, there had to be weird. so wrong with him. <laughs> 
But I think, I think, another, thing that, I think another thing that puts me uh, in really good stead of Thierry Henry is he's handballed against Republic of Ireland <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. uh, not let them get a... What was it? Which World Cup? Was it World Cup or Euro? Uh, no, it's World Cup. Euro. 2010 World Cup, it would have been. Yeah, obviously, uh, they didn't get in because uh, he... Uh, <laughs> Great handball on the goal. Yeah, fucking fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that that went down very well, did it? I'll go. I'll go next. Talk about uh, World Cup 2010. Uh, So I've gone with. Yeah, I just I just dictate between two like two of my favourite footballers ever, and this man takes the the cream of the crop for me. Uh, He's a man, and one thing I love, he's a man who started off at his local club. uh, Got told he was too small to play football. Not Lionel Messi. he scored 329 in 617 club games, 59 in 98 for Spain, uh, won a World Cup, Euros, Champions League, Spanish titles, uh, Mr. David Villa. He was a man, he was a yeah. man that fit into a Barcelona team, which was already unbelievable under Pep Guardiola. And he fit onto that left-hand side, usually, of that front three. He was just first class. He was a joy to watch, and he's a man that I I used to think I played like him. I didn't. I didn't have anything anything even really close to him. You don't. I just, yeah, <laughs> no, I still don't. No. I'm working on it. <laughs> At least no, I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna get the old uh, goatee there. But uh, that's yeah. Uh, he just. He was a joy to watch. I still. I still sit. You know, and watch his, some of his best goals, and he's just unbelievable footballer. After he after he'd kind of done at Atletico, he moved to MLS and took the piss in the MLS, and it was just a joy to watch, a joy to watch. And he was unlucky to miss out on the Euro 2012 uh, for an injury, and he would have won another Euro if it wasn't for that injury. But that's yeah, yeah. That, that era, he was phenomenal, and that era of striker. I mean, you had Torres, you had Villa. And it left a massive void in that in that Spanish side for a few years. Yeah, yeah, they tried they tried to replace it with Morata and stuff, and it never quite clicked the same because those two with you know, your Shabby's, Iniesta's, Fabregas's matter eventually behind them. It was just unplayable. Yeah. And, and and you think I, I, you also I think, think he was an out and out striker before he went to Barcelona, and then he became like one of the best wingers in the world. I know he's sort of forward, but I think, yeah, I think obviously. As, as Sam touched on, he's, he was really overlooked in that Barcelona team because obviously the other players they kind of had, they were just so good. And Villa, every, you wouldn't really put Villa in that team, but oh yeah, Messi, Javi, whatever. But yeah, Villa was such a big component of that team. He made him, he obviously made him work as well. A big uh, cog yeah, in the machine. If you, so if, you, if you took David Villa out of that team, they wouldn't have won that Champions League against United. They like he was such an integral cog to that team. To have that extra attacking option. Outlets. I mean, the delight one. And a man that I wanted to be at the park. Put myself Spain shirts with them on the back, running down the left wing at school, pretending I had pace. It was two Barca wingers slash forwards that were in United's hopes, Eto and then Villa. But um, absolute, yeah, I I still remember one of my earliest memories of football, like European stage, would have been that Valencia side that he was in. It's quite young, but I remember that, like, especially from playing FIFA and all, you used to have him, you had Silva, you had Matt, you had, you had Eurofetes, if anyone remembers him, Ruben Maracca, David Alba. I can't remember his goal, his, his league of goal tally for uh, Valencia is absolutely, it's absolutely ridiculous, his goal tally. Like, it's well over, like, a goal every other game. Like, it's it's incredible. And this is why I'm asking him. He kept it going out of Letco as well. Top draw. Uh, 18. Nice. So... Uh, so I was going to say, I, I kept, I tried to keep them kind of at different sports. So for my football one, which was always going to kind of be 
the number one choice. I, I also kind of thought along the lines of who I wanted, not wanted to be, but who I kind of practiced on the playground. And that would that was always, at that time when you were a kid, I had my T90s on, you trying to put a hole in the back of that, trying to be Rooney. But I didn't want to, I didn't really want to go Rooney. I wanted to go the man that I, just not maybe when I was a kid, but now if I could go and be in one footballer's shoes ever, who would I have been? And it just has to be like, it just has to be Bobby Moore for me. Um, as a legend, I, as, as like the probably what, for an English football fan, the one icon, legend, captain, everything, leader, you know. Um, got, got 108 times for England, but to lift that World Cup, it's like the ultimate dream, isn't it? For, for me, it was. The ultimate dream is for any like, English, English like football that we've never won it once. And, and I just thought, what am I? And then also when you learn and watch documentaries and learn more about him, you realise like diagnosed with cancer two years before the World Cup and to go on to captain it and, um, and to win it. I thought it was, I thought it was mad. And also, Sam, I don't know, as you were a little, trying to analyse your football, I also found out that he was only, well, knew that he was only six foot, um, which is quite interesting. You think of the 1960s as a centre-half. He'd always have it, he's not even up. that, mate. He's 5'10", I'm pretty sure. But yeah, yeah, there you go. Not, not, you know, not a tall man. It shows the intelligence, skill of the game, yeah. even the, old, the, the old school, old school, Old school gaming as being, you expect your centre-half to be 6'3", 6'4", to just, you know... Bully, and he just wasn't. He was unbelievable. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, I thought for me, just who would I want to be out of anyone ever? I just want to lift the World Cup for England. So I thought you were the, the most well-paid footballer ever. I thought that's what we were going down at first. Oh, is <laughs> said, if you could wish to be top. any footballer ever, I thought you were going to say they won the biggest uh-huh. pockets. But um, yeah, no. <laughs> well, well, on that on that front, I apparently want to lift the World Cup for Spain. So yeah, it's a World Cup. I'll take it. <laughs> Summons you up though, don't it really? Uh, nah. uh, is it who's left? Is it just me? It's you, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it's, it's time for story time, boys, in a way. <laughs> Get emotional. You got to, Riley, you got to appreciate this guy for what he is. smallest violin going on here. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. If you really... do too, I'll make sure you like and subscribe. Yeah. Say again. <laughs> I, just said, I, I just said, if you know what's coming and you do say enough now, like and subscribe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Oh yeah, yeah. I just nah, turned off, guys. Yeah. Uh, I have every faith in you, Joe. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've gone down a different route, different sport. But there was when you're thinking about sportsmen or icons you watch, there was no, there's no person else I've ever felt watching so like in like obsessed and kind of like nervy and really moment. Other than maybe watching England in a tournament. Or international sport on occasion, whether I'm supporting England or Ireland, depending on the circumstances. Um, but this is um, it's Michael the Count Bisburn, um, the greatest British ever made fire ever, which is not hard to say, but he's absolute trailblazer for, for British MMA. I mean, he he wasn't the first to go to the UFC, but he was certainly the best. There's been some good fighters, um, Freeman, uh, Dan Hardy, you know, and kind of before and just at the same time. But the UFC Hall of Famer, the first British UFC champion, tough free winner, five-time fight of the night, retired with the record for UFC fights for 29, which has now been surpassed by Cowboy Cerrone. Uh, he was t- he's tied fourth currently with 20 UFC wins, which I did think was I do think was a record when he set it. Um, but what makes the legend of Bis- Michael Bisping so special is the fact that he was forever like the gatekeeper of the division. 
he had so much talent and promise at times and he was such a top draw fighter, but he was never quite championship material. He was always ranked fourth, fifth in the division, sixth, maybe up to third. And he was such a nearly man. And it was almost a measure of how good a fighter you were. If you got past Bisbon, you were going to go on and win a bout. But unfortunately for Bisbon, Bisbon never went on and won a bout. Well, until his probably his final run, after losing to Luke Rockhold by submission, I think in 2013, no, no, 2015, was it or 2014? But anyway, after losing, losing to Luke Rockhold, it seemed kind of an age and Bisbin was on his way out. But managed to, as always Michael Bisbin did, pick himself up off the canvas and um, come back. And a free fight win streak leads him back to Luke Rockhold and he puts himself right at the top of the division. <laughs> Chris, and I'm previously unbeaten Chris Weidman, who had just lost the bout to Luke Rockhold. So Luke Rockhold now seems to be like a champion that's going to keep the bout for a long time. In the rematch, Weidman has to pull out due to injury. And on 17 days' notice, Michael Bisman takes the fight against Luke Rockhold as, as cover and gets his first UFC title shot after being in the... I think he was in the UFC for 15... No, for t- at least 10, 11 years at that point. And it was his first title shot, despite being at the top of division for all that time. And within, it took him one round to knock out the heavy favourite Luke Rockhold and cause one of, if not the biggest, or one of the biggest upsets the sport has ever seen. And he held that bout. He defended it once, avenging a loss to Dan Henderson. And do you know what? Like The whole story of the way he was, he was a humble guy from the north of England. You know, really went over, was so British when he went over and... T- uh, to win the ultimate fighter. You can watch the ultimate fighter on Fight Pass. It's, it's an incredible series. He's got a great character. And there's so many great moments along the way of his career. And, and for a guy that was so nearly on the cusp, like cusp of greatness at times, he just never got over the line. It was so emotional and like refreshing to see a guy at the end of his career get over the line in such a competitive era of, of, of MMA. When MMA was really coming to the the Conor McGregor era when it's really the UFC was coming right to the forefront of um, of sport and you know that just before we I, I forgot I didn't touch on I want to I have to mention the Anderson Silva win in London uh, when he beats Anderson Silva 48-47 uh, on three judges scorecards in which I don't think there's any fight that sums up um, Michael Bisping more than any high work rate lots of strikes sound everywhere but massive underdogs still again and he knocks Anderson Silva down in the second round. Uh, but Anderson Silva warms up into the fight. And at the end of the third round, as the horn goes off, Anderson Silva lands a flying knee after the bow. And Bisbin's basically knocked out on the cage. As so many times he's been hurt, he shows complete resilience to recover with a bloody face, battered face, and win the next two rounds in such a, such a fashion that wins him the fight despite... A debatable win, but I scored it three rounds to two. Bisbin, I think many did because it was just showed the heart of a lion, mate. Literally, there's not many people I, I watch that I, I live every punch with them. Uh, an absolute icon of a bloke, great man, great family man, great bloke to listen to on commentary. And he's he's had one of the most ups and downs stories in the career for a guy that's always been at the top of the sport and to see him finally go over the line, mate. He's an absolute icon of my favourite man in the sport, and many say, including Chael Sonnen. He was a never a UFC champion, interim champ. Uh, the toughest man he ever went into a cage with, and so many have said that. They don't really respect Bisbane enough until uh, until they step in there with him, but a proper tough Brit, mate. Ike, I'm proud to be from these shores, mate, and yeah, massive Bisbane fan. I'd love to meet him one good day, shout mate. Ike, good shout that. 
I'll have to watch that Anderson Silva fight. It sounded good. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, and the Rocco one. Like, if you and if you if you've not a big UFC fan, if you get the chance to sit down and watch the Ultimate Fighter, like the early Ultimate Fighters were such were like the hardcore straight edge kind of era of MMA when it was they weren't fighting for money. They're fighting for life, but they they were. I mean, they had to have a slight screw loose to be trying to make money in a sport that had no money at the time. They were just guys that wanted to fight, and it was. You know, it's so funny seeing all these guys in a house, and it's not as it's not like it is today with the professionalism. So it's refreshing, and yeah, brilliant guy through all the eras, mate. He's a hall of famer and the only British champ from the UFC. Yeah, and he's flo- flown the flag for us, boys. So yeah, Michael <coughs> Bisbee could go on forever, mate, as I probably have. So uh, yeah, that's a good example. So um, yeah, if we look back on it, we got what? Well, go back for your three guys. We just covered the last. Who we gone through? So, Mitch, you've had KP. KP, Rey Mysterio, and the one and only Thierry Henry. Uh <laughs> Me and Sam have both had Ronan O'Gara. You had Steven <laughs> Gerrard. And you had Davavia. I'm surprised we had, we had the same pick in there. I, didn't see I that thought you were going with Brian Driscoll. I really did. No, it was one of the two, and I just thought Ronan O'Gara was one that just... Um, obviously, went O'Gara for the Munster connection. Uh, we've had Blake, and we've had Brisbane, and then Adam... You've had Jimmy? Yeah, yeah Jimmy, Jimmy, Tiger and Bobby. Of course, of course. Brilliant selection of all-round boys. Some, I mean, there's so many icons you can stick into this, but it's nice you've got these old personal connections with some of them, guys. But I think that's it, guys. Anything more to add? Anything this weekend coming up? Oh, I did want to mention one thing for those that, that probably don't care. Um, Gloucester finally won a league game the weekend. First winning nine league games. Beat Worcester at home. Didn't make it easy because we seeded a trite in the first minute. But rallied back. We're still bottom of the table, but we're level on points. So it's coming, boys. Well done, boys. Billy 12 tree scored a try as well. So uh, I think uh, one thing I do want to mention before we leave uh, is the bet I sent you boys at the weekend. Uh, he had Brentford in yes, Bristol City in yes, Peterborough in yes. Wickham and yes for a five pound returning fifteen thousand uh, fifteen thousand pound fifteen quid, right? So just over fifteen grand. Uh, having a bit of research, he was cash out with six hundred fifty quid before the Wickham and Norwich game. Uh, he didn't cash out. Wickham got battered two nil. Yeah, uh, six hundred fifty pound gone. <laughs> uh, I just think uh, I don't know. I, no, you'd have to gamble that. Yeah, I know you would. Uh, no, so, 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 so first, so first by ten points versus bottom by ten points. If you're going to gamble, gamble. Like, you know, don't bother cashing out, but Wickham to beat Norwich. No, I, I'm, a very, I'm a very logical man and I've cashing out. So where, where I'd follow with that is, the cashing £650 out is no, no mean feat, definitely. But if the bet's for 15 grand, I stick with it. But the, the scenario of what's left, I agree, but... Are you putting that bet in there as in you're standing by your prediction there? If you're standing by your prediction there, you think it's got a good chance of happening. I'm gambling 650 with the hope I'm getting 15. For grand. me, in a, in a real logical sense, because on Bet365, which was one you can do a partial cash out, I'm, you take 400, leave the 200, leave 200 to ride. You know what I mean? You've already won 400 off the of yeah, 500. Yeah, that's that was. a good idea. If it comes in, say it's not 15 grand, it might be 8 grand, but fuck it, I wouldn't complain. I just think whether it's just. Like, oh, you're gambling for the sake of gambling now because you're, you've got three out of the four going. Or whether you're gambling because you believe it could happen. If you're truly yeah. backing your claim, 
I'm gambling the 650 on the route of 15k. If it was more, I'm dreaming, that's what's going to let me down, I'm cashing out. You know, but if he's truly backing himself there, like oh, he's made that prediction, that's what he thinks is going to happen, then you've got to stick with it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, no, I completely. <laughs> why is he put it in there anyway? It's, it's just yeah, like, all he's done I'm is against the odds, but also it's pure delusion on the odds. Yeah. But okay. it's one of those boys. But I think we should wrap it up there, guys. Um, I want to say a big thank you to everyone to watching. Cheers, boys, for the icons. I find it thoroughly interesting. I hope you guys did too. Um, yeah. Stay tuned for, for more stuff coming, potentially in the week or the weeks coming. Um, you'll never show out next Wednesday. This will, this, will be a, this will be recorded Monday, the out Wednesday. But we will see you all soon. So thanks again for watching Bumpers for Goalposts. Yeah.